Thank you, uh, Stephen. And uh, just great to be together tonight again in Arena Church, uh, another uh, notch on the journey of uh, this church and uh, all that God wants to do in it. And we thank God for that. And um, uh, God is uh, forever working and moving and blessing. And uh, we bless him for that as well. So we're going to come to the Word of God tonight and we're going to continue with week three of this uh, autumn series called Jesus Followers. Uh, you may remember that in week one I, I, I said that um, this uh, we, we, uh, we carefully sort of think, pray and plot uh, as a leadership team regarding ministry in the church um, and uh, we, we recognise that um, but it's not enough just to sort of throw something at the wall and hope it sticks. It's not enough to have last-minute ministries every week. Um, we have an intentional sense of God wanting to say something. Of course, then the ministry has to be prepared and got ready and all of those things. And uh, that's, if you like, the pressure of, of ministry. Um, but we talked about the fact that out of some conversations, we... Uh, really felt to embark on this little series in autumn. Uh, in the first week, we reminded ourselves that Jesus, on a number of occasions, and we took the uh, verse in John chapter 1, where Jesus called people to himself, and in that particular time, he said to Philip, the disciple, will you follow me? Uh, uh, being a Jesus follower is a personal challenge. We thank God for parents that nurture and bring their children uh, to church, but the reality is that those children as they emerge and develop have to make their own decision to be a follower of the Lord. You may have come with a friend tonight that's a Christian but it's a challenge for you also to respond. We recognise and I'll mention this a little later that it's a pathway to walk. It's also a principle to live by where we obey the workings and leadings of Jesus and Jesus calls us to follow him also because there is a potential to fulfil in our life. We believe that God has placed us on the earth for a purpose. We're not here just to drift, just to wonder, just to race. And we believe that that purpose is best fulfilled when Jesus Christ as Lord is at the centre of our lives. That's why we come together as a Christian church. We preach the word. We invite people to respond. And many of us around this room have taken that uh, opportunity, some when we were younger, some later in life. But we've realised that it's only living a Christ-centred life that really helps us to fulfil the potential that God has placed in us. Christian spoke last week because we're taking various aspects now of living out real life as a Jesus follower. And Christian took the thought of Jesus followers in the marketplace. By that we mean in the world of life and work and connections and uh, social groups. We've had it said in Arena Church on occasions that all the church is bothered about is Sunday. With respect, you couldn't be more further from the truth. Our church is increasingly and deliberately set up to bless you for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, etc. In the hospital ward, in the office, at the bank, in the school, on the school run, wherever it is that we work out our lives as Jesus followers in the particular aspect of the marketplace that God has blessed us. You're going to meet people this week that I'll never meet. You're talk to people this week that I'll never talk to. And God wants you to carry his love and blessing to them. So, 
tonight we're going to wrestle with a, a subject that is not easy to share on, but is, I think, uh, something that we realised was essential to look at uh, in regard to the culture that we live in, the day in which we live in, and how it expresses itself as a Jesus follower. So, um, if you've got a Bible, you may want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and verses 3 to 8. Thessalonians is a book near the end of the New Testament, and uh, Morgan's going to put it up on the uh, reading as well. So, I'm going to read from verses 3 to 8 of 1 Thessalonians 4. And he starts off by saying, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That word sanctify interchanges with holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body. In a way that is holy and honourable. Not in passionate lusts like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, one should... Uh, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those that commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives us the Holy Spirit. Jesus followers in the marketplace Jesus follows tonight for the moments that we've got together in our morality. Morality is defined as being concerned with right or wrong or distinguishing between right or wrong. Of course, people can uh, live out a moral ethic in their life without being Christians. Created in God's image, Bible commentators describe the fact that common grace comes to us all. So, of course, Christians, uh, sorry, non-Christians could live in ways that express uh, a moral code. But the reality is this. When we realize that every one of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and the Bible describes that as being because of sin, we've missed the mark, then as we come to Jesus, this moral way is heightened and strengthened by our relationship with Jesus and experiencing the indwelling Holy Spirit. I have to say that as I go deeper, as we sang tonight, as I want to be more like Jesus, I realize that Jesus by his spirit digs deeper and deeper into my life in terms of living in a way that distinguishes between right and wrong. Like you, of course, I don't always get it right, but the reality is that God wants to draw us closer and deeper into him. Of course, there are people that are very happy today to live amorally, that prefix a meaning nothing. In other words, living without any sense of boundaries, of limits, of thoughts for others, and, uh, and uh, sometimes drawing a consequence upon themselves. So morality has a, a wide expression of application, but for a few moments tonight, I'm going to particularly relate it from the verses that we've read to how we live out morality as a Jesus follower in our body, our our, our morality that, affect, uh, that, that reflects God uh, in the way that we live. Don't worry, uh, this is a Sunday congregation. Uh, I'll be careful what I say, and I particularly want to speak to principles, but not fudge the issue. Within a generation, there have been huge shifts in society with regard to 
sexuality and sexual behaviour. I was born in 1955. I'll do the maths for you, it's okay, I'm 61. And... Um, uh, since that time, even since being a young guy, there have been huge changes in attitudes to this particular area, not, in our, not only in our nation, but also across the nations of the earth. And of course, a lot of that has been proliferated by the internet uh, um, revolution as well. When I was a kid, when two people lived together, it was described not by Christians, but by society as living in sin. With respect, it still is. When a young man often got a young woman pregnant out of wedlock, he didn't move on to the next relationship. He married her, and often for a lifetime. In this shifting time of culture, commentators and observers reflect to us that we now live in what is called a, a postmodern or a relativist culture. Don't worry too much about that, but here's some of the characteristics that impact our challenge to be a Jesus follower in these days that all reflect that postmodern view. Number one, there's no absolute truth. In other words, people suggest today that the only thing that you can be sure about is that you're not sure about anything. Number two, that no one has got the complete answer. There are no great certainties. What is true for one person is not true for another. A mix and match of religions and viewpoints is called syncretism. An emphasis on inclusivity and tolerance, a diversity of morals and lifestyle. All these things rolling out in our society today. These shifts, of course, have made it easy for a sceptical, liberal, amoral world to take pot shots at the Christian church, of which we are part tonight. And the great challenge of the Christian church is that it, in a contemporary way, sets ancient, unchanging truths in a modern setting. I wonder if you've been on the end of something like this from friends or family or people at work. You know, the trouble with you Christians is you need to get into the 21st century. Maybe you've heard that. Or maybe somebody said to you, you still don't believe that, do you? Or about people saying the problem with the Christian churches is too narrow and repressive. That is not true, friends. And the reality is that in Arena Church, we want people to know God, to find freedom, to discover their purpose, and to make a difference. Jesus says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What we do want to do, though, is to handle the gift that God has given to us in an honouring, Christ-glorifying way. Here's the reality of the pervading culture. That often affected uh, uh, early thinking too. But as a pastor, over years, sadly at times, I've watched good people, Christ following people. You know, sometimes you get people saying, well, we never had it anyway. I'm talking about people that had it, that loved God, that loved His church. I've seen some people walk away from Jesus and His ways and make some poor decisions in this area if I can say it again carefully some immoral decisions and then I hear Christians say words like well you've only got one life and you've got to live it again that's not true we are training for reigning 
Friends, the end of this world is not the end of what God has planned for this world. And then other people would say, well, surely God wants us to be happy. Well, he really does. But he's far more interested in his being holy. The Bible says that the word of the Lord endures forever. And the Bible, God's words, is the bedrock foundation for Jesus' followers. Not to accommodate cultural conventions, but to challenge it. And over the two millennia of Jesus' followers around the earth, the reality is this, friends. We have been called out. We have been called to stand out and shine. We have been called to a different way. We have been called to distinguish between right and wrong. We have been called to make a difference. You don't need me to tell you that, that there is much confusion in this area. Breathtakingly so. As we move into the 21st century, there are over 50 gender descriptions on social media sites such as Facebook. The, the hot potato of the day is uh, that whole debate regarding transgenderism and transsexualism. And that affects many, many uh, issues of life and uh, many situations. Um, there was a website that was hacked last year set up by a Canadian company that deliberately encouraged people to sign up for one reason alone and that was to commit to an adulterous relationship with somebody else. After the site was hacked it was found that there were 37 million adherents across the earth. In the last three years in our own country there have been 5,500 sexual attacks in schools and an educationalist commentator says this is the fruit of pornography. Huge challenges in our society today. God's gift to us, and yet so often it bringing confusion and pain and hurt. So three things in the second part of the message tonight to help us. Three things that point our attention to God. I realise across the congregation tonight that in this area people would be pain, failure, hurt. Would have had situations at times where relationships have broken down. Not of your fault or making or even desire. And I want you to understand tonight that God is for you, loves you, blesses you, and wants every one of us to realize that however wrong it's gone at times, we can always find a season where we can do it right. So here's the first thing about God tonight with regard to living out the Jesus-following way in our morality, and particularly within our sexual morality. Number one, God values all people. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3 and verse 16, one of the most off-quoted verses in the whole of the Bible, that God all of the world that he gave his only begotten son. The challenges today uh, that are, are with us... Um, uh, are not in one sense new. They were found uh, amongst Jesus and the Gospels and certainly the early church as it was pioneered and spread by the apostolic fathers. I've had people, if I say it again respectfully, young people, that say it's never been so difficult to be a Christian as it is in the 21st century. Again, that's not true. It's always been difficult in the areas of this issue. It's just that it is particularly heightened in the time in which we live. Let me take you for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul is talking, it won't be on the screen I'm afraid, but where Paul is talking um, to uh, believers, and he talks about who does not inherit the kingdom. And he describes numbers of 
uh, expressions of behaviour in our body that disqualify us from inheriting the kingdom. And then he turned to the people and says, and such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God had changed people, washed them, turned them around and made them dif different. In Arena Church, we continually wrestle with this truth, which we really mean. All people are welcome at Arena Church. At this very time, as an eldership, we're wrestling with a paper that we've created that helps us to ask the questions of how do we practically, as leaders, and also encourage everyone in our church to continually give an inclusive welcome in Arena Church without compromising our beliefs. I want to say that it's no mean challenge. We can stand there and finger point friends. We can stand at the door and bar people. We've no intention of doing that. We want God to cause people to know that he loves them and there's a place where they can be blessed. An evangelical uh, grouping recently wrote these words which I think help us on this journey. They said that we recognise that all of us are sinners and that the only true hope for sinful people, whatever our moral challenges, is Jesus Christ. Our earnest prayer is that his love, truth and grace would characterise our responses to debates and, view, and uh, discussions both now and in the future. We want to say as a leadership in Arena Church that you can bring your confusion, you can bring your brokenness, you can bring your pain, you can bring your hurt, you can bring your belligerence, you can bring your viewpoint, you can bring what you claim to be and bring it to what God intends you to be. We can bring all of this to the cross and each of us go on an ongoing journey, sometimes a long one for some people, to finding freedom and our true identity in Jesus Christ. God values all people. But secondly, God values his purpose. His purpose has been revealed in his words. His word is forever settled in heaven. As I've already quoted, his word endures forever. God's not nervous about the Bible in the 21st century in the sense he thinks, oh heck, he's gone out of date. He doesn't think like that. He needs churches and people, friends, to rise up and seek with real sincerity to come to his word and to implement it into our lifetime. He reveals his purpose. I've had many people say to me, Phil, I'm looking for God's will. The reality is at times they're looking for God's will for them personally, but not applying his word generally. The general will of God is revealed for us in the word. The more we adhere and give ourselves to the general will of God, guess what? The more you'll find the personal will of God working out in you. I started the reading tonight by saying it's God's will that you and God, friends, values his purpose. As I've said in week one, the Christian journey is not just coming through a gateway, a door. It's a pathway to live and to walk. 
And here in Thessalonians, the writer is speaking to a church and reminding them that they could not divorce their spirituality from their physicality. In the New Testament, there are numbers of doctrinal heresies. Things that sought to come against the church. You may think it's new. It's not. One of the great heresies of the New Testament was Gnosticism. Don't worry about the title. But here it was expressed in a super spiritual pursuit of God. A higher knowledge that made a great divide between matter and spirit. The outworking of that was that these people led others to believe that how we behaved in the body had little consequence. This is not what Christian teaching believes. And uh, the verses that we have read tonight remind us that there is a correlation, a connection between our spiritual life and our bodily outworking of that. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit, where God's presence dwells. In the Old Testament, God had a temple for his people, but in the New Testament, God has a people for his temple. That's why you can come to this tonight, this place, think, well, this isn't a proper church. Where's the stained glass windows? Where's the cross? Where's the board? Where in the flock? Where, where, where's? But you see, all this is tonight, friends, is a great convenient building for us in the centre of this town. And when the people of God come together and Peter and the team begin to lead us, something begins to happen because the Spirit of God is in us and this place becomes the temple that he inhabits. Veteran teacher and Christian writer Michael Green reminded us from the verses in Corinthians 6 that our bodies matter to God, that one day they will be raised, that they are indwelt by the Spirit, that they are harmed by immorality, that behaving wrongly constitutes rebellion and robbery, and that we belong to Christ. A songwriter wrote these words once. I am not mine own. I've been bought with a price. Precious blood of Christ. I am not my own. One of the characteristics of today's society is me. 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 But a characteristic of a Jesus follower is him. 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 We are called to live in a morally lax society in a Christ-honoring way. I recognise across the room, as I've already said, that this presents challenges to us. Maybe some that you're working through and you're genuinely seeking to work through some of the deep challenges that Jesus by his spirit is bringing to your life with integrity and purpose. Maybe you've not got there yet. Maybe you've not got to the place that you'd like to get to. Maybe there's some brokenness still around your life. But I encourage you, friends, to keep going forward and let Jesus continually shape you into the person that he's designed you to be. God values people, all people. God values his purpose. And thirdly, as I bring the message to a close, God values true purity. Verse 7, verse seven of our reading, For God did not cause to be impure, but to live a holy 
life. That word always hagios, it simply means to be different. Not different weird, not different strange, not different where you're pushing people away from you, but different in the world that has an incredible Christ attractiveness to it. I wonder tonight, friends, whether we can make decisions in our life that seek to address all the issues that confront us with an increase integrity and clarity. I wonder tonight if we can be a great example to a younger generation that we've seen going out in their beautiful innocence tonight so we can help them grow up in a very confused world. I wonder if we can tonight recognize afresh that if we reject this, the Bible says in verse 8, it's not rejecting a message, it's literally rejecting the Spirit of God. Powerful words. So how do we respond? Well, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, is a pivotal verse, not only in that book, but for me in the whole of the New Testament. The previous 11 chapters of Romans have defined what God has worked into us. That out of our sin we've been saved, and he calls us to live holy. And then he says, therefore... I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, that you present your bodies, not your spirit, not your soul, but present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may prove his good, perfect and pleasing will. Brothers and sisters, friends, people on a journey to Jesus tonight, in wholeness or brokenness, I encourage us again to bring what we are, our bodies, and offer them as an offering of our lives unto the Lord. To do so by a transforming of our minds, that we might prove his will. My closing little story, which I'll self-apply in a moment. But I was reading a book this week, just to help in my preparation for the message. And the book was uh, regarding Paul, the great father of faith in the New Testament, speaking to Timothy. And there are two books in the end of the, old, uh, of the New Testament regarding 1 and 2 Timothy. Timothy was around about 30 years of age at the time. He was pastoring one of the most significant New Testament churches in Ephesus. He had some challenges. It seems though he was a very timid guy, so he was encouraged to be strong and have a sound mind and be bold. He seems though he had some physical challenges as well. And uh, Paul, not a biological father, but a spiritual father, comes to him. He says, be an example to people. Don't let people despise your youth. And be an example to them in the pure way in which you live out your ministry. It reminded me of a story that, uh, or rather as the illustration went on, the writer used a story that interestingly, in a slightly different context, a colleague of mine sent through to me on email just a few months ago and it, with the encouragement to finish well. <clears throat> so the story goes of a young uh, man that goes to dinner uh, with his future father-in-law and the family and if you've done that you know that it can be quite intimidating but the reality is that they ended up having a wonderful conversation and uh, the new father in, uh, future father-in-law says we're, we're so glad to welcome you into the family and we're looking forward to God blessing you in the days ahead uh, the father-in-law was steeped in ministry 
of well over 40 years. And interestingly, his new son-in-law had also made a decision to respond to the call of God and for him and his soon new wife to give themselves to Christian ministry. And at the end of the dinner, the two guys had a coffee on their own and the older man said this, he says, Can I encourage you to stay true to Jesus? To keep your heart true to him every day. It's a long way from where you are to where you are going. And Satan is in no hurry to get you. I'm not going to apply it to you, but this week I applied it to me. I told you I'm 61. And I've been doing ministry for quite a long time, but I've not got to the end of the journey yet by God's grace. I got married on the 28th of July, 1979, and consummated that covenant commitment. And a week later, I was pastoring a church, embracing Skegness. I thought everybody did those things. By God's grace, I've been faithful to my marriage vows, and I trust faithful to ministry. And as someone says, the end is not yet. Praise the Lord. But I realised this week, friends, that if Satan could take me out through moral indiscretion, he would do it today. If he brought me to a place where I disappointed my wife, my two daughters, my little grandchild, my family at Arena Church, if he got to the place where Christian and the eldership had to come to this platform and make one of those awkward pronouncements that perhaps is being said somewhere in the earth today about somebody's being able to have to be stepped down for ministry for, in quotes, personal reasons, the enemy would do it. And so I determined to keep my eyes on Jesus and in an often morally confused world to seek to do the right things by him. I encourage you to do the same tonight. If you say, Phil, I'm so messed up in this area. I've been so mistreated and let down by others. It has always seemed to go wrong for me here. I want to tell you God loves you because he loves all people. That God values his purposes and as you continually give yourselves to his purposes through his word, he'll bless you. And that God values true purity. And if we will make a commitment afresh tonight to live in these ways, the Spirit of God will give us every strength we need to live it out. I trust tonight, as we think again of the challenge of living out morality within our body, we'll freshly commit to being Jesus followers. Let's pray.